At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. How you doing there, dude? Not too good, man. One of those days, huh? Yeah. Well... A wiser fellow than myself once said, sometimes you eat the bar and much blood. Sometimes the bar while he eats you. Hmm. That's some kind of Eastern thing? Far from it. I like your style, dude. Mm, well. I dig your style too, man. Got a whole cowboy thing going. Thank you. There's just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. The fuck are you talking about? Okay, dude. Have it your way. Take her easy, dude. Yeah, thanks, man. When I was a cowboy out on the western plains, when I was a cowboy out on the western plains, when I'm being a bunch of cowboys right on the Jesse James, call a like um, Van Gogh and Gauguin when they were roommates. They've said of Van Gogh and Gauguin that Gauguin loved the sunshine painting, but Van Gogh loved the sun, and he got too close to it sometimes. Hello, hello. Welcome back. It's Clinton. Nice to see you again. Do you want to say thanks, everyone, for the real positive comments? I appreciate it. Um, they're going to come fast and furious when they come fast and furious because we got a lot of things going on. So doing what I can do when I do it. And the second part of Cougar Hall is coming. So calm your tees. Uh, this is um, the second part of the conversation with Clayboy. And um, it's a little bit more serious, but it's all out of order. The whole call was out of order because the phone dropped. So the initial reason for talking to him is because he knew a man he knew a man who went by the name of Starkweather and when I was in school I mean this was the best stuff to sit around a campfire and listen to you ever heard so that was the point of this whole thing and then it escalated hopefully you get something out of it like I said the phone connection is not that great whatever I mean, if you don't like it, you don't like it. I, I, I really don't care. <laughs> I do care, but not really.
Those fucking tales of your insanity are the legendary, sir. Well, at this point, they should be. I mean, seriously, I like have this. I have your entire world painted in my head, having not seen it. The brilliance of the stories of the Starkweather. I swear to God, I could at least draw <laughs> what Starkweather fucking looked like with that sword standing in front of the door. <laughs> Denying children. Your mother is is quite ill. <laughs> I mean, I kind of hated it that Dave showed me the arrest picture. Oh, Road Lizard, man. Road Lizard Deluxe. He was a... God, what a character. I mean, if he wasn't so damaging and destructive, and if it wasn't so painful at the time, I honestly would be thankful for somebody like that coming into my life. Mm-hmm. At this point, I still don't know what to make of it other than, you know, I didn't know what to make of it at the time, but now what I know to make of it is that there are bizarre individuals in this world that just don't make any sense whatsoever. Boy, ain't that right, man. And, and that, I mean, he's just a straight-up hustler. Yeah. At the end of the day. He was a hustler that had uh, some kind of creative capacity to invent tales that all seem to be based off of uh, Highlander, Shogun, <laughs> the way of Kane, Kung Fu, the way of Kane, <laughs> blending that late seventies, early eighties, like time traveler. Oh, I'm I mean, sure. What's the Highlander or time traveler? Am I right about that? No, they were immortals. Oh, oh, well, of course. Well, uh, as are we all, but um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He would. The way I mean, the story about how he acquired the sword. I mean, I was I was present when the story was told, and there's just no no way to know how to react to, to something like that. Skin diving off the coast of Okinawa. What were you doing in Okinawa? S- studying with the Roshi, of course. Uh, you know, the Roshi's like 120 years old. Won't take any more students. Takes him. Who's the Roshi? That's the uh, Roshi, I think, is a title or head of either Japanese Buddhism or Shintoism, or Shinto, maybe Shinto Buddhism. You know, the, the the particular Japanese blending of those two traditions. Right. So he's studying under the Roshi, and skin diving, and he's down about. I can't remember. He gave me the the depth and fathoms. He was however many fathoms deep. <laughs> he, he, fathoms. He spies the he spies the barnacle encrusted object of destiny. That is, the, that is the sword, and he brings it up. And I said, "Well, did you know what it was?" Oh, I knew instantly what it was. I was like, before you like scraped all the barnacles off, he goes, I didn't scrape the barnacles off. I said, well, what did you what did you do? I simply tapped it against a, a stone, and they in, all instantly fell away because of the purity of the steel. And it was the famous sword maker from Highlander, the same same guy that the Highland, made the Highlander sword. 
in that like 1982 movie. Same guy, Matsumuro, I think. And I think that Don Starkweather said it. Matsumuro made it, knew instantly what it was. I definitely remember hearing Matsumuro's name thrown around in the day. <laughs> no, no, no. At the same time, we're to imagine that most likely, one, he doesn't know how deep a fathom is. No, not at all. And that, two, the only thing that was barnacle encrusted that he pulled out of the water was probably an old boot. (laughs) (laughs) The true story, yeah, the true story is he was down in... He was down on the in. Uh, he was in Galveston. He ran to Galveston like all the other outlaws. Yeah, he was. He was down on what, what is it? Not not even Galveston. The the, the one the, the the sorrier one that's a little bit more. Corpus. <laughs> not Corpus. That's still too nice. That's too like, like Mustang. Uh, I think maybe Mustang Island. Yeah, Mustang Island. He he was he was down there, probably. Working out of spring a, break trim, <laughs> probably <laughs> in about '77, wandering along the beach alone because nobody would let him party. And he, and, and he ate like a sheet of bad acid and watched the Highlander when it came out. And it made <laughs> yes. such an impression on him that half of his personality was just completely adapted from film, completely given, completely given over to it. That's, that must have been where it all came together because, you know, his foundation was, was Kung Fu, The Way of Kang. And then there's definitely Shogun in there, which was the, the TV version was done with Richard, uh, uh, not Richard Harris. No, 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 no. I'm talking B, 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 B grade, C grade. Somebody on the C train. Um, One of those I, probably in a, sort of a Skinamax flick at some point. Probably, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's it, man. He got a bad sheet of acid. I mean, it didn't even necessarily have to be a bad sheet of acid, but you know, got all lit, went to a theater, had some milk duds, and it just like melted him. And it clicked. It yeah, all it clicked. melted with him. Fuckers like that can pass a polygraph because they really believe it. Well, he's not Asian, but how is he going to be connected to that ancient? that ancient tradition and connected to all traditions really, except by becoming immortal, by being an immortal, which ties together his Scottish ancestry as a Starkweather and then allows him to go and be a part of every major movement and battle in history. That's when it, that's when it clicked. Yeah. Until then he was just stuck as an outsider. So then he became the Highlander. Is he now somewhere, possibly north somewhere now, and he's basically pretending that he's like a descendant of Ned Stark and claiming that there's White Walkers beyond the wall? Uh, On the hush-hush, probably. Uh, He happens to know things here and there. I rode a a dragon back after I uh, forged this sword. (laughs) I'm guessing that's about where he's at these days. So, so was was it Eric that asked him if he'd ever killed anybody? 
Yes, it was Eric. How did that go? Tell me the story real quick. We threw the mother of all New Year's Eve parties at a house my mom was renting over on Sales Boulevard. And we we had a huge crowd lived in Abilene in that time that was all uh, associated with us through high school. I'm thinking it was after my junior year in college. No, it was after my sophomore year in college. And we throw this party, and absolutely everybody shows up. It's packed wall-to-wall with people. We've got gambling going on upstairs, um, kegs, full bar, music's playing. And Eric Gore's older sister and her boyfriend came in from – were in from Norman, Oklahoma. They went to OU together. And some of his friends, um, they all show up at the party. And the first thing I see is Gore leading the charge towards Starkweather with Ross McElroy and another guy named David Gaskell in tow. And Gaskell and McElroy are like the known pranksters of the University of Oklahoma. Just, you know, crazy as, crazy as we are, but, you know, a generation ahead of us, a half a generation ahead of us up there at OU. So there's just no end to what they're 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 thinking and wanting to to do with Starkweather as soon as they get their hands on him. But I look up, Gore leads the charge, and they corner him in the kitchen. And I hear Gore shout out instantly after introductions. So, have you ever done any work in Hollywood? Starkweather just kind of nods his head, hops up on the kitchen counter, sits on it, and says, "A little." No, it's the time. Describe, describe what Starkweather looks like real quick. Long, curly, kind of mullety hair, but he's not terribly short in front. Big head, chiseled jaw, uh, skinny as a rail, so he looks like a toothpick. Tight black jeans, a close ghetto, ghetto fake silk shirts from pennies or bells or something. Bells, definitely bells. Yeah. In the prom department. <laughs> you know, like, like purple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unbutt- really ridiculous ones with those, like, squiggly lines that look like semen. <laughs> with the paisleys. Yeah. <laughs> Unbuttoned, of course, down to, you know, mid-chest. Obviously. Tucked in, tucked in, pointy boots, uh, you know, melon on a toothpick. He looked like the, what the picture, like to that mug shot that I saw of him recently. I mean, he was weathered, that's for sure. Definitely weathered in that picture. He looks like he could have also maybe eaten some mushrooms and pretended he was Jim Morrison for two years. Yeah, it's, it's Jim Morrison gone real bad. Yeah, real bad. Under a okay, bridge. So he's on this counter and purple paint bleed and all. Something was going on upstairs. I think the blackjack dealer was playing with the cards up, I think is what it was. And somebody came down and was like, dude, someone's was playing with the cards up. All the, all the money's being lost. I put up money for the, the house to gamble, people to gamble against the house on. And so as I'm going up the stairs, I hear just Starkweather getting peppered with questions from Ross and Gore and Gaskell. And that was when, uh, have you ever killed anybody? Well, of course. 
<laughs> well, of course. <laughs> you know, just, I mean, just throwing as much gasoline on that guy's fire as, as they could, as they could summon. And yeah. it didn't need much to get him going. Not much at all. He was, he was always itching to spin a yarn. That's for damn sure. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, if we went to the well on this thing, I mean, see that right there, that's quality content, Clay. I don't know how uh, it would take what Wes Anderson to do it. Oh, to put picture to it? Yeah, I mean, it's somebody that's it's just that an obscure sense of persona. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I think both, you know, you and I can fucking set the scene. We don't need Wes. But with that same, you know, I see a little uh, Owen Wilson and Tannenbaums in him. <laughs> that, would be, that would be the right environment. Exactly. It would take that kind of an environment Dude, to describe to the kind of collision between me and him. I try, yeah, exactly. I tried to pa- purchase that painting that's on those crazy paintings that are on the wall behind <laughs> the three, the masks and three wheelers. Yes. I tried to buy a big ass canvas of it. <laughs> so, it's so classic, <laughs> so <laughs> random, and screwed up in the head. shared history is it produced American culture as it is 
Yeah. It produced the only true psalms that have ever that we've ever produced as a nation, the spirituals, mm-hmm. because they were cries to God based in real experience. They weren't artistic or aesthetic uh, simulacra. They were they were the heart cries of genuine bondage and suffering under God, and it formed it changed all of religious music, formed the basis of, of gospel, blues fusion of jazz blend it with uh appalachian country you get rock and roll mm-hmm. and the rest is world history it really is a, the way that people act towards it as if we could change it today is no different than the eastern mindset of you know living in the now right there's no there's no reason to focus on that and because of that we stagnate I think until we mine the true understanding and the true wisdom of the ages from it, there's not going to be any getting around it. Well, and yeah. we'll just keep bumping into it and bumping into it until we finally understand whatever that understanding is. And I think we're at a place where, where we're capable of understanding more than we ever have been. Yeah, but then I got on Twitter and um, I didn't like what you said, so I just you know just completely flamed you. Social media has become the new crack cocaine, bro. Oh, totally. It is. It's the new addict. It, it's actually, I, I like the description of like, I mean, you and I both like to have a good smoke because we have the dignity to smoke. It is like the epidemic of the smoking back in the day, like that everyone, you know, it's the, <laughs> right. it's the national epidemic is, is social media. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's trash. The best part about it is when you can actually interact with the batshit people, and that brings us back to Starkweather. Like, he walked into your life, and you got to interact with a real-life lunatic, right? <laughs> like a living, breathing, fucking lunatic. And say what you will about him. You have to respect that shit. It... I think it now some people would say we were being mean and that it's sad and all that. And yes, it is. That's not the point. The point is it happened. And you were you were younger and everybody has trauma from it, obviously. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, it does take some balls to be that bad shit. I think one of the the most remarkable thing about humans is there's a moment in the Arabian Nights. I haven't read all of it, but one of the characters is talking about something horrible that's just happened. It's like a death or a slaughter, or his whole family was slaughtered and he was sent out into the desert or something. And he's sitting there talking to the narrator and, and begins to laugh about it, laughing about the condition of man. And to me, that is the most astonishing. One of the most astonishing things about humans is that we're able to we're able to laugh at things that they're not funny at all. And by that, we we don't just laugh at it and dispense with it. We actually mine truth from it that's usable. It's a mechanism by which we can proceed through a world of trauma in and of itself, and then learn from it. You learn some of the highest things by taking that perspective on which you can laugh at the whole show 
because when you the only time you can laugh at the whole show is if you're standing sub specii answering a Titus in the full view of heaven. Mm-hmm. From the mm-hmm. full view of heaven, this is all a joke. Yeah. Well, it's not a joke. The, the things that aren't a joke is that there's human courage, there's love, there's endurance, there's the virtues, there's the, the things that we produce out of this shit heap. Um, but in the day-to-day life of living through life linearly, stepping one moment of time at a time, most of it's just drudgery and heartbreak. Ah, man, I've missed talking to philosopher Clay. Well, I've missed talking to you, sir. I need to come down to Pflugerville, man. Anytime. I'd love to see you. Yeah, dude, I got pics of us in that apartment. Me and you, Shelton and Bernard. <laughs> and Shelton had that old school camera, that Canon, and he had the black yeah. and white film. Yeah. I mean, there's some great pictures in there. <laughs> I'd love to see them. Yeah, for sure, man. I've, I've, I've got to pull some out. I've found um, pictures of Heather on the porch and Dave and Preston and I in the bowling alley when we basically – you know, did the same thing that Starkweather did, except with the big Lebowski. <laughs> Preston essentially Starkweathered Lebowski. <laughs> Fuck it, let's go rolling, dude. You know, like that, that was a bit. Like, that's what we did for like an entire four or five month period. It's <laughs> like bowling. Bowling. Like, um, there wasn't anywhere cooler to go drink, because that place is a shitty, speaking of shitty, drink. <laughs> You know, I'd much rather be down there fucking with Miss Lehman. Oh, no doubt, right? Mm-hmm. The oh, best thing I ever had in radio was running the Ranger games because I could push a button and I had three innings and I'd walk downstairs and walk into the touch of class and I'd sit at the bar and watch the Ranger game and then when it got to the end of the, nearly the bottom of the third, I'd just, I'd be like, I'll be right back and I'd walk upstairs and push another button and walk back down. <laughs> You drink premium. You pay your tab tonight. <laughs> you pay your tab. Don't drink premium. Oh, too much. You walk his tab. <laughs> you you pay your tab today. <laughs> I've seen Preston dodge a tab in there so excellently. It's, oh, it's yeah. worthy. It's worthy of dicking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's the one that taught me the game of that shit, man. <laughs> I'm so. Get the tab going, and then you could order. You order premium. <laughs> I saw him work it to get it open and battle through that that argument, <laughs> and then saw him ducking out the front door with her trying around the bar on him, trying to chase him. Go back here, man. Dave and I were trying to. I think we were basically taking dibs on whether or not she was still alive the other day. Oh, she is. Lyle, too. God, what a classic. They were classic. Is it open? Surely it feels like we would no, know. It's closed. It's, still open. it's closed. I went by there a couple of years ago, uh, and it was closed. It was the best bar in town, for sure. Oh, totally. Shelton and I went over there. What was the the, the zone? Is that the name of it? That zone. Sports bar, sort of. Super yeah, the zone was over off 
14th. That was the sports bar. Um, yeah, and they had bad drinking. lighting in there and shit. But they had a jukebox when it was actually still CDs. And they had a Fish's two-disc live one release. And Chris played Tweezer back-to-back, which was 38 minutes in 38 minutes. And my dude was on the bar, walked over there, and unplugged that bitch. <laughs> all of the wonder and the specialness out of it. 
or I come at it satire, you know. I think yeah. that's really I, – I, I, see, I also think that there has to be like a, a – there has to be an attitude of like, come at me, bro. Right. You know right. what I mean? Like, you have to just be like, I don't give a fuck what you say. And I mean, honestly, it's an interesting situation to be in because, one, people are like, you need to be on social media to, like, promote your shit. But everyone that I know that gets involved in that ends up hating it or it causes them more problems. It's not the right format for certain things. It's really not the right format for human existence, honestly. But (laughs) because, because what kind of asses? Think that it's okay that you could be an invisible, anonymous, what the fuck, and you're going to say something to me, and it's going to ruin my day, let alone my fucking career? Bitch, please. It's what not, kind of shit is that, dude? That's not the way That's not the way it should be. And what gets me is the only time I feel inclined to post on Facebook is when I have some revelation of the deeper truth. And then I turn around and I look at it the next day and think of all the ways that it could be taken on social media, none of which are my intent or what I'm trying to convey. And it just ruins the whole thing. So the last one I had was the uh, the video I posted of U2 playing with a Harlem uh, church choir doing a version of um, Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For in this church. And it's shot in black and white. It's absolutely brilliant. And it, all of a sudden I had a, a utilitarian insight into the questions of national history. How would you weigh all of the exchanges, all of the cross-cultural exchanges from the beginning until now between humans in every circumstance that has produced beauty, goodness, truth, enough to get a human, you know, just one more step or down the road for the next day, all the way up to building the foundations of culture that we experience today. How do you weigh all of those collaborations against horrors like chattel slavery or Jim Crow, lynchings, Tulsa, Charleston, you know, on and on? How do you, how do you weigh those in a utilitarian sense and, and, and derive from that an idea of where we've truly come from and where we're going, because the truth is, is we don't have access to all of those moments. 99.9% of it is private between people, but it is the basis of identity and culture. And we're art, but yet, on the flip side, we're arguing about real things that have gone wrong and, or, and tragedies that have happened. And what weight should they play in our contemplations and deliberations? So I said, I slapped this video up and I said, I don't think the present moment has a clue about where we've been or where we're going. And my sense is that where we've been is good, even though it's horrific. And where we're going is good, so it will probably be horrific. It's always going to be horrific. You know, there is always going to be pain, suffering, sorrow, all of it. It's part of the human fucking condition. Yep, exactly. We're all supposed to gain the truth from that, though. And the magic is is that we keep wrestling the good back from it. We, we keep to. stealing it back. We have to, man. 
uh, you know, it's really, really crazy that you say that about, like, how you were worried about how that Facebook post was going to go because, and you don't even know this, the way that I think that this is going to play, but somebody that's listening to this right now will know this, that just within the last two days, I've laid it out there that I was actually pissed and didn't say anything because of, and almost in protest of the way that people are being judged on the line. I think there's something to be said for investing in the creative mind above anything and everything else. Indeed. Things have, cha- things have changed and are changing so rapidly that I don't I I would hate to I look, I look back at anything that I would have done and 2008 or, and or COVID and the advent of technology would have wiped pretty much all of it away unless it was something like the speakeasy, right? Because I'm just not that interested in business, period, to keep up with, well, you need to incorporate this into your business model, blah, blah, blah. You know, at this point I am, you know, because I want want to run my own business and and I've worked in in a modern office for enough time to see how powerful this kind of technology is and what kind of level of specificity and granularity you've got to get down to in order just to survive in an average business. But anything I ever would have created, it would have been wiped away at much more considerable loss than I've ever experienced. It's like good that I've had nothing but time to think. And I still look back at that time as, you know, one of the creative high point of just the the energy of it and that's never left and it could be brought into that kind of creativity and fun and and joy of life you know for it to to spill over that 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 kind of joy of life to spill over into anything that you do that's what i want to do and i think that it's been drained out of culture with everything that we've been through in the last 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. Know. It's been a People long are, road. You know, I mean, I, I had to tell somebody the other day, man, I am done letting any of this bullshit affect how I'm rolling the rest of the time. I'm done with it. And I'm certainly not keeping my fucking mouth shut. Cause I'm worried about some troll in New Hampshire telling me that I'm a prick and, probably don't deserve to have a family anymore. <laughs> Whatever else they'll try to use. I mean, shit, if they hadn't come at me yet, come at me, bro. That's <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'll do. You come at me, I'm just going to turn that thing into content, you know? If you're just poking the bear from a long enough distance away and you claim, just like Waylon Jennings does, poetic lessons, Am I right? Yeah. Copyright poetic license. That's what art is for. Exactly. That's what creativity is for. You can't live in art. Anybody that tries to live in art ends up insane. Right. Ever kill anybody, Starkweather? Of course. <laughs> of course. Okay. Have you ever been working in Hollywood a bit? Have you ever killed anybody? Of course. Then gets quiet about it and it's like, 
I don't, but I don't talk about it. It's not something. It's not something that can be talked about. Because you know he fought in Ian Smith's war in Rhodesia to protect the family holding in 1979, and I found his driver's license and did the math on his birthday, and I said, "Motherfucker, that would have made you 14 years old." Because just sitting at the dinner table at the house on Hunter's Glen, he was, yes, I was very young, oh. like wistfully, but painfully. Yeah, like he had gotten into it too early, but then again, what is a sort mortal? And, you know, he's protecting the family holdings. The family holdings. And that, that, yes. that is what I told David it's called I love, love tacking on the, you know, antiquities and holdings. And that was when he was shot between the eyes, the scar in the middle of his forehead which no doubt came from a biker's skull ring. He said it was, uh, he'd taken a bullet to the forehead. <laughs> and it split the hemispheres of his brain, so it didn't do any da- brain damage. But then a shaman had cured him. See, <laughs> that's insane. I don't remember getting the bullet to the brain story. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. He has a scar in the middle of his forehead, and that's 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 where it came from. Taking a taking a bullet in Ian Smith's war in Rhodesia. That is incredible. Yeah. What did you? Yeah. So what did you do at, at dinner around the dinner table with your mom in high school? That's what I was doing. Well, figuring out how to respond to that kind of shit. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm a latchkey kid, so me, Clint Potter, Grant were prank calling, you know, the buddy hotline that they gave us at school, because there was such a rash of children that were definitely did not need to be unsupervised at their house, unsupervised. Take the, anything from life, the junk and the garbage, and running it through the process that I've been building the the mental uh, framework to work with, you can literally put shit inside of it and gold comes out of it. There's there's insights and things to be gained that it doesn't, you don't have to start writing something serious to get something serious out of it. There were things that I, that I picked up in writing that Rocky story where it was easy to turn, you know, just the mundane, either the mundane absurdity just the common absurdity of the story and turn it into turn it onto something deadly serious and beautiful in an instant and then turn it back and i think that might be the only way to approach some of the problems that are going on now because the shit is so serious to talk about that you can't look at it directly yeah yeah 100 man i i know exactly what you're talking about and i think it's okay. too it's too fucking painful and just it, it it runs to a yeah i watched 12 years of slave last night and you think if that's you know embedded to a certain degree in um cultural memory getting fired up in present experience through something like george floyd it's like how the fuck do you talk about that for real yeah yeah i mean I 
again, I had such practice with this play. You know, I like had to perform underneath the idea of we're, we've got to have things to be outraged about. Imagine what it was like in Dallas, Texas, answering phones every day during the election of President Barack Obama. Holy imagine shit. what people would say to me on the phone. Oh, fucking hell. I cannot imagine. I mean, you know, when you hear... You've seen that, um, what's that, what's the name of that, uh... That, we don't have that, no goddamn black president, not on my watch, I'm telling you what. Right, what's the name of that Japanese, that guy that, uh, did the thing with the snowflakes, with water, the water test thing? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Okay, so, basically, he takes, like, you know, he takes water, separates them, and to some of them, he says words aloud, like he'll say hate, anger, fear, isolation. And then some of them, he'd take like a post-it note and just write a word on it and stick it on there. And then, you know, there'd be others and he'd be like beauty, love, generosity, caring. And then he'd freeze the water particles and look at them underneath a microscope. And do the ones that say like beauty and love are like perfect fucking snowflakes. Right. And right. the one that says I hate you is like yellow and stained and gross. And you know, it's just like, dude, our bodies how much percent water? Literally yeah. hearing that shit affects you, whether you believe it does or not. Imagine what it does to human consciousness. And Consciousness is is that is that entity that is designed to process garbage, and it has the responsibility to turn virtue out of it. At best, what we get is neutral. Generally speaking, you get good from parents, family, friends. You know, there's good, but there's always there's always the the shit of the world sewn into it. Unless your parents are just perfect, and your life is perfect, and your world is perfect. The trauma is going to come at it. That's the facts, man. That's the facts. And, you know, it is that. That's the thing that makes us human. And the suffering is part of the experience. It's what makes us, rather than just... An animal is a creature that responds to suffering with survival, with its, the fullness of its being, and it can do no other. Right? You know, it's not a... A bear isn't a good bear or a bad bear during a lean winter. I don't know. Not according to Timothy Treadwell. His responses are... Well, it's a separate question altogether that we should discuss at length. But, you know, humans have to decide what we're going to fucking do with it. Agreed. Agreed. And yeah, we can man. either handle it well or we can't. So Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what makes us remarkable. I'm on a super. Um, I'm on a super. We got this shit kick. I mean, at least I know that people around me, people that gravitate towards me, that's like that's what I'm trying to throw. And thing is, because we're part of the collective and our experiences are intertwined. I mean, you got to... 
got to have somebody saying charge. Got to go. Right. And it's right. time for it, man. It's time for it. Or else we're in trouble because it is, there is a cloud. There's definitely a cloud. Sauron is, you know, what is it? How is it? How does he say, you know, they're, they're, they're building in Isengard, you know, I mean, they're, the orcs are forming. Yeah. For sure. It, ca- it, it casts a cloud and where we're, where we are now. I mean, you, there's nothing to be done here. You know, you, there's nothing to the cloud. It's just a dark apparition that blots out the truth, blots out reality. And you can't, you can't stay here. There's no going back. And there's no staying here. Step forward into the light. Whatever that creative space is where reality begins to flow again rather than bullshit. Yeah. You can't dig into bullshit and expect to find the answer that you're looking for, which is rock bottom reality. If it's bullshit, there's nothing to it. You can dig all you want, but there's nothing there. There's nothing substantive. All you're left with is theorizing. You step forward into that place where light light and life is, is moving again and things fall into perspective and then you actually see what's going on. Art, I think, is what's going to take us through this time, it, without denying any of the any of the legitimate intellectual substance. See, here's the thing, right there. But that's not the focus of it. Yeah, you don't need to put addendums to shit like that. That's the thing. The idea that we can't be in agreement with where we're going on that, without somebody being like, "Yeah, but we also want to be sure that we're okay." Dude, no, totally. So I told David yesterday, I was like. Imagine if, you know, you looked at life like the video game Donkey Kong, right? And you're trying to get up a level, up a level, up a level to the end of the board, right? Right. And if you're playing a two-man game and you beat level 22, but your buddy can't, and every time he gets around that ladder, he gets hit with a barrel, you know? It's like you're sad that he got hit with a barrel. But you're not going to stay there. He has to figure that out alone. Right. Like, this is a really interesting thing about the concept of coupling and where our ideas of how things are supposed to be are kind of antiquated. We are all individuals, and we have to take care of ourselves. First and foremost, we are in an airplane with a child, and (laughs) things going down, put the air mask on you first so you can help, right? Right. We have to take care of of ourselves as we take the group. Like, right. you know, we're a reflection of each other, too, man. That's the other thing. Like, whatever you're giving off, you're getting back. And people being afraid to do the right thing or hopelessness is a bitch. The idea that it doesn't matter anymore. Because it fucking does. And, I mean, as long as I'm breathing, I'm going to say it ain't too late. Right. Right. That's the, that's Sometimes that's the only thing that you have to get through. Everything will be tested if you're trying to take on anything real or serious. Well, dude, the only thing you can control is right now. You know? It's moment to moment. 
famous. You can't control the past, and you cannot control the future. You can control the now. And people get stuck on either one of those things and literally spin their wheels. Totally. I mean, it happens all the time. <laughs> Trust me, I know. Like, I, I, I'm not immune to it. That's what the, the soul does. It spins like a wheel until it gets out of the rut. Right. But see, encouragement and fulfilling each other's cups, that if all of us stand around and we don't think that what's going on is right, but we don't say anything, then we believe all the other people around us think that it's okay. Right. Right. Group acceptance of the situation is 99% of why it turns Dude, out the way they think it so will. we so fucking horrible to one another. We do. That's why I'm saying that shit about social media. It just yeah. angst that causes people. It puts false bullshit out there, like false impressions of a world that does not exist and an existence that will leave you only wanting. And it fulfills, it makes it reality by fulfilling its own prophecy in that way. It creates the shit world because it destabilizes the mind that is supposed to be producing the world in the good. Yeah, some great things have been produced under immense stress and in, in, in times of immense angst and darkness, but that's the, that's the survival miracle. That's not the productivity. That's not the daily miracles of productivity of just living and living well. Right. Well, it's garbage in, garbage out, man. And we are what we consume 100%. Right. And that's the thing. It's just like, why? Why even put yourself in a situation where you have to swim in that overpopulated pond of... Why? I mean, I... And, dude, I fully realize people are doing it and are going to do it. I'm just saying, like, at this point, right now, for me to get across the finish line and think that I at least got the best out of me, I can't be bothered with that bullshit. I can't. You know what I mean? Like, fuck all that hate and bullshit, man. Fuck that. It's astonishing to me how willing people are to throw it in, into another person's life as though it's somehow, I don't know what it's intended to do. Well, it's only, I mean, they're, they're reflecting their own pain at other people. Remember, misery loves company. And that's the thing. If you and I are playing Donkey Kong and you keep getting beat on level 20, 22, but I can do to 23, you want me to come and stay there with you because being alone sucks. Uh, no, I've always preferred to be alone in my misery. You know what I mean? People want to reflect back. I mean, it's why child molesters were, were molested as children. They're reflecting back the mm. harm that was caused to them. And everyone does it. I mean, and that's the concept of karma. And that is why we are all one collective ball of light. With, we're just millions of tiny particles on the same ball. But what we... The collective, we feel it. That's why prayer works. Right. That's why when people get together and put their minds to something, we can move fucking mountains. I'm not afraid to take on a mountain. 
I don't like the idea of taking on a mountain in the current environment because I've never seen any environment so perfectly designed to challenge with authority, with the accepted authority can challenge you in such a way that there is no legitimate response. But the, and the problem with the authority is, is it's not legitimate, but it has the appearance of legitimacy. Yeah, well, see, here's the thing, Clay, and here's where you, this is what, <laughs> this is where this all goes full circle. You're in South Texas, and you know what people in South Texas do? Fuck the law. <laughs> we don't need that shit. Fuck that authority. Fuck that. But it must be contended with. I don't think there's any, I don't know. No, I know, but it needs, the only thing it can be contended with is to be told it's not an authority. That's right. the only it's way. Not, it's not a real authority. Any of that so learn, learning power is because we gave it to it, bro. Learning your life. If you right. give it, that shit. You give. When, when do you stop hurting that you, when you see, when you see it being wielded? When do you stop hurt? When do you just treat it as though it doesn't exist? Or, it's or, not so much dude, you turn in a blind it's not turning a blind eye. You have a realization of awfulness in the world. And that's that's the thing. But it, it, it's not like see the problem is you feeling bad for it isn't the way to acknowledge it. You to do things for the betterment of it is. I mean, that's why charity exists and willing causes and people who help people who need them. But dude, getting down in the dirt and wailing over it because it's going on helps nobody. Um, Think about what the Jews in the camps would have done if America was like, yeah, that's really awful. And we just sat here and we're like, that's really awful. You know, we didn't get over there and we go fucking kick some ass. <laughs> you know? Like, action right. is in- right. included in this, too. Like, I think you probably have this. There, there's, a, there's a bit of your frustration comes from the fact that a lot of people don't acknowledge it. But it's also. You cut out. You have a, you, you probably have a little thing where, you know. Like, people don't acknowledge it, and it kind of pisses you off. Um, A little bit. Come on, I know Clay Boys. What I I see a lot of is assertions of of certainty about the way things are, the way things were, and the way things are, or the way things happen. If somebody comes into my sphere of life, for example – and they want to know about my situation, and I start to tell them a little bit, they jump light years ahead and fill in all of that blank space with their own thoughts and opinions and okay. impressions about the world. Do with you, though, Clay. Right. And then how do you think This is where it gets crossways, is that at that point, I'm not at the place where I know how to re- – I, I am at the po- – where I'm at now is I don't know how to respond to that properly because part of me is like, this, this is complete fucking nonsense. I look, anything that I would have to say about it, you're not capable of, you're obviously not capable of hearing it. 
because of where you started from and how you started, there's not going to be any real conversation. So how do I handle this well, this so conversation that's been been set on a on a level that has nothing to do with me? Yeah, those. Yeah, again, it doesn't have anything to do with you, and those are speed bumps and distractions to try to slow your train. And so my where I fail is I I want to want to like shake people awake with like, do you see how you're being? You've stepped out of the realm of what a real human is supposed to be doing and being in another person's life. Right. But see, there you go with that, that thing right there. Dude, you're, you know how you do the example is you do you. I know that's fucking hard. That's fucking yeah, hard. You're, you're I right. know, man. Right. Better than you're anybody. Right. You're right. You're right. That's the only thing. That's the only thing you can do. And it, to me, it just gets real choppy when it's dialogical. You have to be the best version of fucking you. And you know what? Anybody that gives a shit about you will see your goodness coming out of it, and you will be an inspiration to those around you. If they don't see it, fuck them, dude. Like, that isn't on you. It isn't on me. It isn't on anybody else. The only thing that is on us is us. That's it. That's what I need to hear from you. That's what's true. That's what's real. Love yourself first, man. Start there. And start with the moment. No, but that you're fine. Is what I need yeah. to hear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know, man. I know. Cause I'm, I fucking know. I'm half me. If we meet up, hang out again, you know, I'm only half me if you're not all there, too. Oh, yeah. You know, con- consciousness. consciousness uh, it's something like C.S. Lewis said, one of his friends passed away, that a piece of him passed away with him, of course you know, that would never come alive again because his friend made him come alive only in certain ways. And he also recognized that another friend of theirs was like, you know, I think he was one of the inklings. It must have been it was somebody in his really close circle. And he realized, too, with this person passing, he was going to lose a piece of uh, a friend of theirs, a mutual friend, because the, the guy that passed away, he brought something else out in that friend that he didn't bring out in that friend. A pause on the idea of, of the dialogical nature of, of identity and being and consciousness. Hey, move from where you are. Just take a step from where you are because you're, you're better now, wherever you're now. Keep going. I mean, I can still hear you. It's just cutting off every other third word. But it just... It's good, it's good to hear that you're going to be fine, no matter, that you are fine and that you're going to be fine no matter what, and you're standing on the ground that that I always have the best of you, no matter what the hell you're going through. No matter what, dude. Like, how else is there to be? I mean, what do we think that we can control? We can't control the way that other people feel about us except by being us and being honest and authentic. And saying, this is who the fuck I am. And also saying, like, I'm going to make mistakes, man. I don't have it all figured out. That's the one thing that I do know. I won't ever know what it's all about, ever. And not stopping on one thing and getting dogmatic about other shit. 
it really is a discourse, a constant conversation towards enlightenment. That's it. Right. Man, all that other bullshit is either it's really the thing that is 100% of the flesh because it is always rooted in the flesh. The concerns of the flesh, right? The yeah. idea of um, jealousy and sorrow and there's a theory within the ancients that you know the creation and adam and eve were actually plants right and adam and eve and all of their progeny were plants and all of the all of the life form on planet earth was plant-based thus the garden of eden right right but spirit had to move from vegetable life to animal life okay so that was a tough transition. In fact, it was so tough, it was called the fall. Now, why was it so difficult? Well, you see, a plant reproduces by pronogenesis, where it, like, grows a part of it, falls into the ground, and thus grows anew. And in that way, it sort of lives forever, right? right. It never really encounters death because a piece of it is constantly living on. But animals, we produce in a different way. We have to sexually reproduce. So there needs to be a trigger for sex, which is desire and lust. And that brings in jealousy, sorrow, regret, fear. And the interesting thing is, when we went from plant to animal, we introduced the concept of death because our reproduction system was not cutting off our hand and putting it in the dirt and then we would grow back up again. We literally had to seed the ground, right? And it's so evident that sex is the initiator of death because freaking French, their term to the orgasm, the la petite mort, the little death. Middle English, I'm dying. That is, die. that, is the, that is the concept of us being in the flesh and of the flesh. Is that our, the thing that is, of what you speak, your spirit is screaming to get to some place. But all of our natural and biological and seriously, social media and the things that we are taught and have shoved upon us from the jump, are about things that it's not really about. Right. Right? Exactly. And the thing is, is like that biological thing that makes us chase that is necessary for us to go forth as a species. But it isn't what it's about. But right? it has nothing to do with all that other stuff. Love and caring, and generosity, and all the things that matter in the long run are not tied to the flesh. They emerge out of us as creatures, but it's not attached to the creature. You understand what I'm saying? And that, that, like, that is the ancient view of like the fall of man. Really? And the fall of man is really, 
that we had to go from being in the garden to not. They're no longer plant-based life forms, although our central nervous system is a tree. And we still have several things that were passed through us as plants, but we had to ascend. And the point of, the point of connection between the biological and the, the realm of meaning, the, ab, the, realm, the abstract realm, or the realm of spirit. So that point of connection between spirit and body is, is in this. The information that comes from the body, if you take it as being universal, that's where we lose sight of reality. Well, it's the pineal gland, mainly the pineal and the pituitary, but the pineal gland, which is also the third eye, right? The, it is the chakra. It is the main one, right? It is the vision quest. When you, we're born, that thing is the shape of an almond and completely clean. And then as we age, it calcifies. Which, by the way, Mandel means almond in German, and Mandelbaum is almond tree. Holy crap. You can't do that to me in the middle of one. Well, the only reason I threw Mandelbaum in there is because of that Seinfeld episode. Because Patrick and I always would just Mandelbaum, Mandelbaum. Like we'd see old people just doing things. Mandelbaum, Mandelbaum. No, but that, that gland, as we age, it calcifies. And the only way to literally get the barnacles off of the sword clay is meditation and prayer and deeds, you know, charity, giving ourselves. You're, you're right. As far as our end of the, our end of the bargain is concerned is conscientiousness towards all things and managing and, and, and wielding the body and the mind and the emotions. I'm with you totally. Well, the only thing that is a real thing that science will tell you that's what happens. I'm saying that the, under, that's the reason that the Eastern peoples knew how to get to a level of complete and total. Like the actual concept of Zen is the, while alive, the physical separation of the spirit and the body. It's Meaning that you no longer are in any way governed by. That's the journey. Like, we're all headed that way. We're not all going to make it certain levels and all that shit, but that's what it's about. That's the ascension. Everything that rises must converge. All right, there's a point of connection that I want you to hear. I. So, we have this dual planar nature where we have to operate on two planes at once. The body and the senses in time and space and in the realm of temporality and then the spirit that operates in the eternal, that apprehends and participates in eternal things like love, goodness, truth, you know, ultimate truth, virtue, right? And the, and the two are, are, are they're bound together, locked together, entwined together in this life. And it, there's an interesting exchange between God and Adam and Eve after the fall in which he comes into the garden, they're hiding in the bushes, and he's like, where are you? And they come out, and they're like, well, we saw that we were naked, and we were afraid, so we hid. He said, who told you you were naked? 
they weren't naked. They were spirits clothed in flesh. Right. They were never naked. And the mindset of the fall is that the spirit is the body. It just is the vehicle that we're in. It's a vehicle. So there was a, in the fall, there was a conflation between reality, ultimate reality, and temporal reality. We're trying to struggle back through temporal reality and solve the problems here on this path of ascension. And the damn problem that we're having is we're trying to solve temporal problems with temporal thinking using temporal means. And it's all definitely based in mind and emotions and, and, and what we can do at that level. And there is a lot of work to be done at that level, and it shouldn't be avoided for any reason. But the help, the, the secondary help, that the only thing that you left out of that, that equation on what gets us up the path of ascension is it would require an endowment from the eternal itself that we can't reach, but it can drop into us. And once it drops into us, it's our responsibility to let it then reinfuse and retrofit all of the temporal-based, body-based thinking. That spiritual endowment, which is a gift, it's free because it's truth and it's just there. Yeah, but see, here's the thing, Clay. Let me counter that with, we are eternal. Yes. We're not going to be given a gift of eternal. That's not coming. We are. We are and we're becoming. Okay, but we are all divine. Hence why Jesus was divine in the flesh. Yes, and why he was the word became flesh, meaning just word in in the Greek rendering there is just the rational principle of, the understand, the intelligible principle of divineness, just in its purest essential form, it became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Right. We are are. that, though. See, Jesus is also... That's what Christianity originally said, is that essentially you become the word. Right. I understand all that, but I refuse to get bogged down in that. Right, right. Don't get You know what I mean? And I'm not doing that to be a jerk or anything like that. Just that that when when it gets to that level, those kinds of things. If you just take the apostles at their word, you're tracking them very, 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 very closely. You start to get into church doctrine and all of the rationalization of scripture and try and build a theology from it. I'm totally with you. It's just, it's a quagmire. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm way way past that, man. I'm way past it. And you know, I'm not trying to be a jerk about it to anyone. I hear that. I hear that. Like, I just am not. uh, You couldn't say what you're saying if you weren't. Yeah. I've been there and done that. And if, if you're ready to, you know, it's like, and I'm not saying you, I'm saying like anybody that heard this, you know, if you're ready to hear it, you'll get it when you need to get it. You know, and the thing is, is it's like, here's the other thing, like control, right? Like is a very fleshly thing, like that we think we can somehow, can't, man, can't control that shit of others. Like getting past that level of Donkey Kong is on you. I can't do it for you. What about influence and impact? What's our responsibility there? Well, no, I mean, I think by living your fucking absolute authentic life you are inspiration influence and impact in fact i think that's the only way that we really can be impactful you know if i sat here and spat this shit from a pulpit and then turned around and did something else it's when people feel me doing it and see me living it 
that it becomes that's what it's about. And that's all that's that was the only thing I was saying about where you put your attention and where you put your time. Well, what about opportunities exist in this world to give spirit and be responded to in spirit? Whereas my experience, my daily experience is, is giving spirit and being responded to with worldly thinking that doesn't begin with the truth, so it's never going to end up with the truth, and just having to endure it along the way right. and have to communicate using the same language and try and jump that chasm. It's exhausting. It's yeah, not, revo- it's not I, rewarding. I know it's exhausting, and I can feel it on your voice that you're tired of it. And all I can tell you is, man, the only way to show them, hug them and love them and say, Godspeed. I mean, really, what are we talking about here? This, dude, we're coming right back into this cycle once we're gone. And that is a fact. I 100% thousand believe that. Because I do believe that we are all part of the divine inside of this vehicle moving forward. And our individual ascension is what we can control. And I really, I mean, the concept of reincarnation is that you didn't get there at that point, you go back. I think we will have a choice to go back if we want. There is no, see, all that that shit about, like, this place is garbage, we're only living for the next thing, is bullshit. No, they're connected. Because you immediately disassociate yourself from your own life. What the fuck? That's how you end up regretting, wasting time. Some do, but C.S. Lewis did point out that most of the people that lived for heaven ended up doing the most here. Nah, no, no. I mean, that's clever of him to say that, and it sounds great and all that, but that's not necessarily true. I'm not saying that people who are only doing things for heaven are doing things bad. I'm just saying they're going to be unfulfilled. They're going to be unsatisfied. And they're no, going... if, you, if, if you divorce them, yes. But they're not divorced. Heaven is already here. That's the point. Nah, see, I, I think all that shit, that, that is that literal bullshit that I stone. No, I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. That's, I, I that just, was never, that was, number one, that was never me. And number two, certainly no, isn't now. And three, it never will be. Because I just, I had the good fortune to be raised around the church, but not in it. And I didn't get the, I didn't get the veil put over my, my eyes. I mean, I had it at one time and I had the veil lifted, but it's not so permanent that I can't, I'm not stuck in purely linear thought. Yeah. We'll see wherever two of you or more are together. There I am. Right. It's us, man. It's, it's us. us. It's always been us. Yeah. That's it. That's it. The only reason he says two is because... It's dialogical. It's dialogue. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. It, it I emerged. don't think they'll learn anything, Clay, unless they sit around here on the porch and listen to us talk. <laughs> It's all how in there, you, man. It's all in how there. How long did you teach over here at the university? Uh, I taught at Colin for, I guess, two years. Were you teaching Hemingway? Is that what you did 
No, I taught I taught literature, um, some literature, but rhetoric and rhetoric and writing, how to write and how to argue. Do you remember Jimmy Lockwood? I remember the name. Okay, he was a shorter guy. He had like a really dark curly afro. His dad taught at ACU, or his dad taught at TCU or whatever. And he lived over there kind of by, um, off of 16th or whatever, had a good old party house. But he's a philosophy professor now at uh, Boulder, in Boulder. I mean, that kid was like the biggest stoner and like, what, that I ever met. And um, one weekend I was in Tyler, you know, it was in the middle of our philosophy program and everything. And I was hanging out with this a buddy of mine, and one of his friends from out of town was in town. He's older than me. And he was like, he was like, you know, uh, have you ever read any Carlos Castaneda? And I was like, no. And he was like, dude, this guy, man. And kind of explained to me who he was. And But he was an anthropology student and studying the Yaqui Indians and met Don Juan. And, you know, way, he way of, the Yaqui and recorded it. And as soon as he said that he took drugs, they Berkeley stripped him of his uh, degree and all that. But he said, like, oh, you know, this is who he is or whatever. He's like, he's written, like, 13 books. If you read that shit, you'll be a Jedi. That, that was his exact words, right? So that was Saturday night, Sunday. I go to church with my parents, whatever. I'm driving back to Abilene, and uh, I call William, and he doesn't answer his phone, and I call Jimmy. And he's like, yeah, we're all over here, whatever, coming by. I didn't even go out of the apartment, right? I, I walk in. I, like, park, walk in. You know, Devin and those girls are there, and it's our little stoner crowd crew. And, uh, I like, I get in the door, somebody hands me a bong, whatever, rip it, and I start coughing so hard, and I sit down on Jimmy's couch, he had this big glass coffee table, <laughs> glass table in a five-star room, and the sun always comes up much too soon, and he was, uh, it was completely empty, and I'm coughing, and I, like, lean up forward, and I've got my head in my hands, and it was a double-decker Oh. And I open my eyes, and right there is Carlos Castaneda, a Yaqui way of knowledge. And like, I just like, vomited. I was like, what the fuck? And he like looks at me from the kitchen. He's like, ah, yeah, man, I was at the TCU bookstore yesterday, and I thought it looked cool. I was like, I'm taking this. <laughs> you are what you are is because you're in that flesh body. 
And you know what? Then you end up realizing all that pain, sorrow, regret, despair, all that. That is all that there is, son. That's why they want to take that away. And I don't know what the they is, except that it's the dark and the light, and that's it. And all I know is, man, like, pick which side you're going to fight for and do it. I know you're a being of light. Like, I 100% have known that from the jump. Thank you. And figuring out how we're going to get it going and pushing forward is our charge, man. I'm in. And this shit right here is what it is about. Like, being able to take people who have the propensity for greatness and putting it encouraging in their ear. Don't believe for a second. Not a week ago, I was completely lost. Just like that, right? Because I forgot for a minute what the fuck it was all about. Yeah, it's easy to do. I hear that. It's real easy to do. Because all of those feelings inside of our flesh that make us feel like we need something. You see, that's the thing, man. To make us procreate desire, lust, and hunger. That's what we needed. And that's always on us. Always. It's going to be that way. You just got to know that it's there. Swat it away. You know, it's just nose of the grindstone, man. But I'll tell you this. I honestly, honestly, like the deepest, deepest depths of my belief and understanding feel like I'm getting it like loud and clear right now. And dude, I'm not like I am Earl Campbell running towards that end zone right now. And those little sorry sons of bitches who do not want any part of this to try to get in my way are going to get run the fuck over. <laughs> I get tired. I am the roads. You're right, man. I will not go any closer to get in my way. <laughs> Somebody put a cognac in that man's hand. <laughs> I mean, because it's a big old jug of Ro- uh, Carlo Rossi that I opened a minute ago for the other day. Jerry Jeff had me wanting to pick the sangria. And then we realized it was Sunday and we couldn't get no damn brandy or Everclear. <laughs> David was like, I thought we were going to go get Everclear. And I was like, it's Sunday. He was like, it doesn't feel like a Sunday. And I said, don't you do that, David. Don't. Don't do that. Why doesn't it feel like Sunday? Monday's a holiday. <laughs> Dude, Dave, Dave saved my fucking life last summer, man. Speaking of the universe, like, doing it for you, you know, like, the only person that I like to kick it with is stuck behind an invisible wall, like a Berlin wall, and uh, figured out it's been 491 days now since we've seen each other in the flesh. Well, man. I mean, I'm the lucky one. She's the one that lives under an oppressive government that likes to try to trick people into thinking that they're worth a shit. Who's that? Canada. Oh. That's the fucking North American version of straight-up 
gray suit bullshit coming at them. And you know how the trigger is. Here's your some free health care. That sounds great, doesn't it? You know, they pay out the ass for dental. If you hear that there's a special medication that can help your mom, you can't get it. And they're telling people, they're, try, they're talking about, like, we're locking down for the next six months. Anyway, the point being that. Um, they're trying to break play- society. Yeah, during the playoff run last year, you know, I sent him the last summer, I, I sent a picture about the Mavs, and he's like, I'm with you, Melissa. Like, you're a bitch. And, dude, it was, like, perfect. All of a sudden, they had a respite from their thing here and back at them and saved my life in the coolest thing. And you know this about Dave, dude. Like, we just, like, walk right back where we were. Like immediately. <laughs> just, just immediately. And dude, I told him the other day, I was like, you know, this shit in uh like it ain't a fu- like it's it, like I don't believe in coincidences and all that. You know, I'm like, there's purpose here without dredging up anything. But after Preston died, he individually and I individually, for the first time in my life, like I actually felt my mortality. And I felt this swift kick in the ass. Like, dude, uh-huh. you talk a big game, don't get stuck here wasting time. Yeah. And, man, from that moment, full throttle. And um, since time is a flat circle, and we all know that, and anybody that knows what it's like to sit in your house March last year and realize how long it took, for that month to go by, and then how quick this year is going by now, knows. Yeah, weird ass thing time is, in our conception of it. Yeah, but man, he was the biggest blessings. It's almost as if the only thing between us is a pool, like it was a Westheimer. You know. <laughs> I'm glad you're there for him. Got to carry some weight, man. Yeah. You know what's awesome though? We got Sadie and Naya together. Dude, every time I walk in the house and I see Nia, I'm like, what up, weird squad? <laughs> because uh, uh, Nia told Heather one day that um, you know, she's like, me and Jenny at school, we're like, we realized we we're the weirdest ones there. And, you know, Heather's like, oh, God. She's going to say, you know, she's getting ready to give her the kids can be mean speech thing. Right. And Nia was like, Mom, can we get T-shirts that say weird squad? He had told me that. Yes. And every time I walk in that house, I'm like, what? Weird squad? Oh, I'm dying to see her. I'd love to see her. It is amazing. And she is funny as shit. And Sadie is funny as shit, too, dude. You're going to, I mean, you want to talk about a girl version of me, bro? Oh, no. She's beautiful and she will fuck. And tell you about it. <laughs> we got him out there, and like Heather was playing a gig when Sadie and I drove up there. We stopped, saw Heather play a couple of songs, and then drove up to the house. And so Dave and Heather, Nye and I, and the two dogs, and um, uh, they ran upstairs, run around, come down, and they're like, "We're gonna go outside." We're like, "Cool." We're sitting on the couch for a minute, and I, I needed to grab something out of the car. So I was like, "Let's walk out there and see what they're doing." You know, the neighborhood, that little cul-de-sac there, there's that Mormon family, and there's a boy that lives in that Mormon family that's, like, tiny and 12. 
And we walk outside the front door. I'm telling you, they've been outside two minutes, man. They had found a basketball, and they were sitting there dribbling it, saying he was dribbling it in the driveway. And I'm walking over to my car. I'm opening the passenger door, and I hear, I hear, hey. And I turn around and look, and Sadie has now put the basketball under one arm, under her hip, and is with her other hand wagging her finger in that dude's face. And she's like, wow, I'm going to knock you out. <laughs> and I just issued Granny, my mom's mom's old line of, woo, from the car. Do we laughed about that for like 24 hours straight. <laughs> Heather died when I told her. David up for cry laughing at brunch the next morning. <laughs> hey! You know, because he just did the thing where he does, where he's like, he doesn't really respect personal space, and he's all up. She's like, uh-uh. Ain't having this fun. <laughs> knock you out. <laughs> Both parents would probably be terrified to hear their eight-year-old say something like that. And I was like, out of girl! Nope. There you go. You mean letting nobody walk on you, Texas? Birds up, baby. <laughs> oh, man. Salty dogs down here, boys. Salty. Yeah, no, it's, it's been amazing. And, you know, David and I, that's what we fucking did for all those years in college, just sit around and talk through this shit. Philosophers. And that we went to class, man, that's what we did, dude. And you know better than anybody that Dave's the best. And being able to go from, I can talk, we can make fun of Starkweather and Gore's conversation to quote scripture at you. He's so great. And I'm so thankful. And they, trust me, they both know. And it, the love is back and forth. I mean, like we're fam. There, there's a reason we're here together at this point in our life. Go. She don't like her eggs all runny. She thinks crossing her legs is funny. She looks down her nose at money. She gets it on like the Easter bunny. She's my baby. I'm her honey. I'm never gonna let her go. Well, he ain't got late in a month of Sundays. I caught him once and he was sniffing my undies. He ain't real sharp, but he gets things done. Drinks his beer it's oxygen but he's my baby and i'm his honey i'm never gonna let him go in spite of ourselves we'll end up sitting on a rainbow against all odds honey we're the big door prize we're gonna spy our noses right off of our faces there won't be nothing but big old hearts dancing in our eyes. She thinks all my jokes are corny. Convict movies make her horny. She likes to catch up on her scrambled eggs. Swears like a sailor when she shaves her legs. She takes a licking and keeps on ticking. I'm never gonna let her go. Well, he's got more balls than a big brass monkey. He's whacked 
spite of ourselves, we lay end up sitting on a rainbow. Against all odds, honey, we're the big door prize. Oh, we're gonna spite our noses right off of our faces. There won't be nothing but big old hearts dancing in our eyes. There won't be nothing but big old hearts dancing in our eyes. In spite of ourselves. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.